High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So welcome slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously, or just our regular listeners as well. We are back for part three of the 2021 teen movie review. Once again, Aislinn Addington, AP co-host, you're with us. Aislinn, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm here. I'm ready. I love a trilogy. And so it is time to uh, read through this final chapter of 2021 as a fellow cage club host mike manzi who hosts third time's a charm would probably agree sometimes a third film in a series does disappoint i hope we don't disappoint today absolutely (laughs) and of course remember hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening google podcast apple podcast spotify stitcher also we're on social media high school slumber party facebook instagram and twitter and i sound like a broken record but i'll say this once again if this for whatever reasons, the first episode you're listening to, please, it, it says part three in the title, at least listen to part one and part two. We just released them. So uh, because you'll be less confused. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a strange entry point. Uh, welcome. And yeah, look for the first edition of the year in review. Yeah. So uh, just to recap, we're covering as many teen films as we can from 2021 we covered a lot of them on high school slumber party and high school slumber party ap as well and then i tried in the in the last weeks of 2021 and the first week as well of 2022 to watch the ones that we didn't get to cover gonna have a little bit of a a spoiler free preview here for all these films so maybe you'll like to partake in them maybe not and Iceland, maybe you and I would like to cover some of them in AP. We'll see. I know there's already been a bunch that we really want to cover on AP. Oh, yes. I've bookmarked several entries from episodes one and two. And there are definitely a couple here that, again, I would love a spoiler full conversation of. <laughs> because a couple of them are super intriguing. And a couple that I'm so happy that you watched uh, so that I don't have to. <laughs> and and that's the whole purpose of this. Uh, I love it. And today we'll also go over at the end some statistics I put together. I want to compare 2020 with 2021 and really give some overall thoughts. And Island, I have some questions for you at the end because I don't know. I just want to discuss some things, maybe what we think the future the near future of teen films are going to be and just comparing overall to what we've really seen and not seen this year. I love a little data. But let's start with a film that we have seen, both of us, I know, because I was actually on the contenders for this episode, and that is Moxie. Yes. 
Hey, Mom, what do uh, 16-year-olds care about? When I was 16, all I cared about was smashing the patriarchy and burning it all down. Oh, my God. Girls constitute a revolution. Did you hear rankings are already starting? Emma Cunningham's just going to get ranked most bangable for the second year in a row. Kira Pascal for best ass. Caitlin Price will take best rap. It's so nice not to be on anyone's radar. Totally. You miss me? Can I help you? I don't know, can you? He's bothering you. He's harassing me. If you use that word, that means I have to do a bunch of stuff. You know that your school is weird, right? Ignore Mitchell. If you keep your head down, we'll move on and bother somebody else. I'm gonna keep my head up. Hi. Why have we all accepted it? Like, no one even blinks. Me and my friends protested everything. We made a ton of mistakes. But you're glad you did it all, right? Of course. What are you gonna do? Nothing? Whoever wrote Moxie is a badass. You know what's messed up? I got sent home for wearing a tank top meanwhile Jason is constantly shirtless. People refuse to call me by my new name. I don't like being voted best ass. Says to draw hearts and stars on your hands to show support. That's hot. All the boys here could use all the help that they could get. Don't keep secrets from me. I'm actually already pregnant. It's a very funny joke. Right? I would love to know who started Moxie. And who will they go after next? This seems like a women's issue, and I'm going to stay out of it. If you're doing nothing, then you're part of the problem. Noticing someone filming right now, and uh, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Revolution, baby. Hey, ladies first. Or, or can, I, can I say that? Or get, do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. So that is episode 193 on High School Slumber Party and episode 56 on The Contenders. A crossover event. Crossover event. And that was right before we debuted AP. It was super fun. Streaming service, Netflix, of course, and directed by the one and only Amy Poehler. So this is what's fun about a couple of the movies we're going to talk about today. When we talked about Moxie and some of these other projects, the dust hadn't settled on critical scores and stuff. Oh, okay. So we'll be able to kind of see that today. So nice. Rotten Tomatoes, the critical score was 70%. The audience score was 69%. 3.0 on Letterboxd. Like, once again, Island, you watched Mo- Moxie. I watched Moxie. If I recall, you really enjoyed it. I did. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great yeah, example of sort of current day kind of feminist rebellion. I, I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. And, and of course, I love to see Amy Poehler doing any number of things. And like you said, we had introduced AP through contenders here and i do love the phrase backdoor pilot so um yeah this was i have i have nothing but happy thoughts um as it relates to moxie very empowering story if you will was that i forgot the name of the lead actor oh Haley robinson of course uh amy poehler is in the film as well yes nico haraga 
was the hunk a lot of people talked about in this film. He's in a bunch of teen stuff. and He's a hunk you're familiar with. I am, for sure. I don't know if America is. <laughs> <laughs> in Moxie, the main character, Vivian, kind of has a... Is it fair to say a feminist awakening in the film? Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. She starts this magazine in her school and really starts to do a lot of subversive things. I say subversive in what the school kind of wants them to be. Right. I forgot what the main protest that she ends up doing is, but... Again, no spoilers here, but I know there's a really lot of uh, heartwarming and fun moments. I do remember, as we talk about this, she has a date at the morgue. I don't know, they see some dead bodies on a date. That critical score, though, and the audience score was down from, I think, when we originally talked about it, though. So, Oh, interesting. I think a 3.0 on Letterboxd for a teen film is is a solid score, yeah? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think the Letterboxd score is definitely more accurate here. I mean, Amy Poehler's clearly trying to break in. Sounds so weird because it's Amy Poehler. So I don't mean that. But she's pivoting to a lot of producer-director stuff. I know she did Wine Country and, of course, Moxie here. And then she just directed the... I don't know if it came out yet because I didn't see it. or Oh, March 4th. So March 4th, 2022, look out for this. She's doing the documentary Lucy and Desi about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Oh, okay. Which is not to be confused with the Nicole Kidman film that is also on Amazon. Right. Being the Ricardos. That's what it was called. I couldn't remember the name. And that's an Aaron Sorkin written and directed film. But Amy Poehler apparently has really devoted a lot of time to this actual documentary project. So, uh... We'll look out for that. I mean, I'm an Amy Poehler fan. I'm sure you're an Amy Poehler fan, so. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to. I am also um, have enjoyed her in my pandemic time on the reality program Making It that she hosts with Nick Offerman. Oh, yeah. Cool. A crafting competition show. I mean, if there was an alley with my name on it, it'd be that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's, it's been fun to, to watch her do all kinds of different things. Who doesn't love a good craft? Amen. A setting where a lot of crafts take place traditionally is summer camp, right? So Nicely done. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And the next film we're going to talk about here is called A Week Away. Come on. Just tell her the truth. Here's the Will Hawkins file. Social services put everything in there. You didn't tell me this was church camp. It's gonna be great. I got a feeling. Nope. Come on. What's with the name? A Ouija way. A week away. Every once in a while, somebody was just a week away from an experience that changed everything for them. I'm Avery. Nice to meet you. What's her story? Way out of your league, trust me. Her dad owns the place. If I'm gonna fit in here, I have to be something I'm not. Well, this will be fun. Good luck, Will. You're gonna need it. Turn it up. Let's go make a memory. Was the singing too much? I couldn't decide. No, no, thing. no. That's what got me. Oh, the singing. Mm-hmm. This was also a Netflix film. Very interesting watch. Okay. So A Week Away, right off the bat, is a Christian film, 
which I didn't know what I was going into when I, you know, started watching it. See, and, and I have a lot of experience because my very good friend Natalie enjoys watching Christian films recreationally. Mm. And so I have been to many a Christian movie night at, at her house. And when I saw the trailer for this, I did immediately text it to her because <laughs> it's right, right in her wheelhouse. So I'm so interested to hear your experience as, as an outsider to the genre. I am very much an outsider to the genre. So yeah, you would definitely be more of an expert than I would be at this. I really wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like in your face with the Christian message, which I'm I'm not making an opinion on. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or casual about it or whatever. But it was it was much like Christian rock where there were subtleties in it and it felt upbeat and i got into it at times i'll say this like it felt a little bit dated in its structure um we don't see a lot of teen movies like this anymore it reminded me of like almost like a christian high school musical because not only is it a christian summer camp movie it's a musical as well yes yes it's a christian summer camp musical the main character is kind of like wrong side of the tracks, bad boy. And he's, how can I put it? He's broken the law a little bit too many times. And he, <laughs> he gets uh, fostered by a family who's sending their other son to Christian camp. As you do. <laughs> and he goes and, you know, he, he ends up having a good time. Originally, he's a little bit skeptical, but... I suppose he gets the message. And again, I want to be clear, if you're, if you're in the camp with me and you're not too familiar with Christian films, especially Christian teen films, when I say he got the message, it's like he <laughs> subtly got the message that like let church and that in your heart. It's not like beating you over the head like, oh, if you read the Bible every day, that's going to make you a good person. It's more just like, oh... Accept the friendship and love from the people around you here. That's how they get you. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Like, again, it wasn't a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Where I felt disconnected is that it actually used real Christian rock songs. It was a jukebox musical. Yes, I noticed from the trailer in the end, it lists these Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant like these big name Christian artists. A ju- okay, so I just have to add, because we have so many adjectives now. It is a camp-themed teen Christian jukebox musical. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Okay. And if you're that into is... that, and if that's your thing, and because there's, I'll say I haven't seen too many of these. Straddling so. genres left <laughs> and right. <laughs> I find found a hard time connecting with the music because I didn't know the music. The only song I knew was that Amy Grant song that well, I forgot what it's called, like "Oh Baby, Baby." Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, one. that was controversial because she sort of like went pop. That's how I know it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we won't we won't get into the '90s yet. I'll give you one spoiler of the movie, Tell and me. I, th- I think it says it anyway in the trailer. Maybe not, but. Uh, Amy Grant, surprise cameo if you're a big Amy Grant fan. Stop it. So, <laughs> so uh, at the end of the day, 
if you're into this kind of stuff, if you like things in that genre, maybe you'll dig this. It wasn't necessarily for me. How did the critical and audience reception stack up to that? So uh, critical, 54%, not great. Audience score, though, 82%. I think that's really important because this isn't a film for me. You said it might be a film for your friend, right? Absolutely. Recreationally, yes. (laughs) I think if you're into this kind of stuff, you probably would enjoy it. And that's why it would get such a high audience score. Because I also don't think that people who just watch movies, right, like are flipping channels. I know that doesn't exist anymore. And land on this, right? I think this is something you seek out and It's an intentional watching. For sure. Uh, 2.2 on Letterboxd, but again, not really a Letterboxd kind of movie for almost every genre you listed. So this is not just like a movie that was on Netflix. Netflix is the distributor here, distributor here which really m- makes you think that they're trying to break into all sorts of markets, right? They're trying to win Absolutely. awards. They're trying to do things like The Kissing Booth, which is very different to this. And they're trying to, you know, maybe crack that Christian teen market. So... There you go, Netflix. You just want to take over the world. I get it. <laughs> Eisen, you sent me a text right before this. Can, do you remember the question you asked? I did. Me? I did. I was I was watching the tra- uh, trailers for a couple of them that I hadn't yet watched. And A Week Away was one of them. And I said, what the heck is David Koechner doing? Um, you know, Todd Packer from The Office <laughs> as one credit, but plays, I would say, balding slime ball in a lot of comedies. And yet here is like Camp Dad. And so I don't know his personal background. I don't know if this was a passion project, if you will, or just a paycheck. But I was a little bit surprised just to see him wandering through there. So yes, uh, Champ Kind from Anchorman, uh, all a bunch of stuff that's like not really Christian. A little off color, yeah. Yes. A little funny thing happened when I was watching the movie. The movie ends and I'm looking at my phone. I'm not, I'm not trying not to mock this. Literally that day, I get an update on my phone. This is Anchorman star David Kepner, uh, angry mugshot after DUI arrest. Oh, and I was like, "What? That's that, a bummer." And I'm like, "That's not concurrent with the messages of this film." So, I don't know. I mean, D- DUIs are always, always tough. There's no. I'm sorry. I in 2022, there is no excuse for not getting a rideshare. It's too bad that he made some of those choices. Okay, enough <laughs> about DUIs, but more about drugs. Oh, it's like, what's our next film? Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll finally go to the 90s, though, because we actually talked about this one on High School Slumber Party. Soleil Moonfry, if you recall, Punky Brewster herself, Kid 90. I'm not in a good mood. Good, this is what I want on tape. Soleil not smiling for once, like the whole world thinks she always is. At seven years old, I was cast as Punky Brewster. I remember it was Saved by the Bell, the director is saying, the minute you walk onto the stage, you're no longer a child anymore, you're an adult. Did you miss me? There were 12 kids in the business. We all knew everyone. We would talk for two, three hours and fall asleep on the phone. We were just so close. I carried a camera with me everywhere I went. We weren't concerned about the internet. We did the things that teenagers did. We just happened to be in Hollywood. Hey, what's up? This is Mark Wahlberg calling for Soleil. It was all kind of innocent to begin with. Then it just... (laughs) 
got pretty crazy. It was like our 60s. <laughs> I started developing rapidly. People were calling me Punky Boobster. The last couple of weeks have been weird, having guys pinch my ass, you know? Men treated me more like a woman and not a 13-year-old. This business, I don't feel it's a place for children. You start getting in your head, worrying about how you're perceived. Friends were reaching out for help. It seemed like I was losing a friend every week. This is really the first time I'm watching the tapes back. Now that I've opened Pandora's box, I can't put any of this back. The most awkward period in your life, and that's when we were in front of the cameras. By you sharing these tapes, you realize you're not alone. I felt like I was alive when I was in the rawness of it. The amount of love that was there. Learning who I was and what life was meant to be, that was with you. I didn't know what true self-love was until this process. Can't believe you have this. I don't know the ending. I am absolutely discovering it as we go. The big question is, what happens once I unlock the vault? is actually a documentary. The only documentary we'll be talking about in the 2021 teen movie review, which is a shame. And that was episode 232 on High School Slumber Party, a High School Slumber Party AP episode. And you can find this film into streaming on Hulu. Again, Hulu making a lot of waves in 2021 for teen films. Really, really expanding their repertoire. It's not the only documentary we've watched for high school slumber party ap the only one in the 2021 rewatch and 2020 we also had one as well which was boys state obviously tons and tons of documentaries come out every year but in terms of ones that get like mainstream streaming access there's right that are that are teen focused etc no absolutely kid 90 is i think is at the intersection of high school slumber party and high school slumber party ap for sure and the nostalgia of it all was a delight. The poignancy and uh, sort of, I don't know, the um, mortality of it all was a little unexpected. You weren't the biggest fan of Kid 90. It wasn't, no. <laughs> Again, Soleil Moonfry, the director here, it's about her life. And it's essentially, I don't want to say found footage, but kind of like curated footage yeah like she filmed and recorded a lot of her own teenage years of course she was a child star and it was very formative years for her as they are for everybody but in kind of in a different way so i think the appeal if we want to call it that of this film was being able to see all those young stars being teenagers yeah i mean tremendous access from a time period where we don't have the um, social media, you know, the Instagram of the stars, you can, you know, you can see folks in their pajamas probably every day on Instagram. <laughs> that is true. If you wanted. But so this is an era when these young professionals were, you know, living their lives, but also like running wild a little bit. And there's, you know, footage of it that no one knew existed. I get it. 
there are aspects of it, of course, that I enjoyed. And I was really disappointed with the framing of the whole Charlie Sheen of it all in it that that was troublesome. And I, I don't think I was able to get over it in terms of my review of the film. It's not an easy watch in that sense, for sure. I mean, it's very much Soleil Moon Fry through her eyes then and through her eyes now. This isn't like another director picked up the footage and was like, what was happening in Soleil Moon Fry's life at the time? It's her framing these things. And, and I implore you to listen to that AP episode with Aislinn and I, because we kind of go over what potentially might be some of her motivations at the time. And and I think, again, it's fair to talk about because A, it's a documentary. B, she very much makes herself vulnerable and like she's the subject matter. So I think it's fair yes. to be like, why is she doing this? You know, mm-hmm. but it was cool to see people like Stephen Doors, Brian Austin Green, Mark Paul Gossler. That was cool. David Arquette. But you're totally right. The Charlie Sheen thing got weird. But if you haven't seen it yet, Kid 90 and you're you're curious about that. And I think, Island, you and I also said this, like if you grew up with Punky Brewster and Soleil Moonfry, this will probably appeal to you in that way especially Absolutely. that era of celebrity culture um, but good point on the uh, instagram thing right like they'll never be this for the young stars today because we already have it like we exactly. just it up so they're actively curating it in a public way critical score on rotten tomatoes is 76 percent. audience score is 74 percent. 3.2 on letterboxd um i think those are fair scores you probably don't agree but I mean, fair, certainly. I It sort of bums me out that it has a higher score than Moxie, but but okay, that's we're all, we're all different, and my, my scoreboard looks a little different, and that's okay. The next film we're going to discuss is a film just saw a couple days ago. It is called Black as Night. Summer. This one started out just like the last one. So excited about tonight. What you got going till then? Got to go see my mom. I'm better. I've been better for months. Maybe you could just come home and... Ain't that easy, baby girl. We didn't know it yet. Hey, Chris. Do I know you? But this summer... What the... Hey, leave him alone! (gasps) Was about to be very different. If I tell you what I have to tell you, you have to promise to believe me no matter what. Oh, what is that? I got attacked. Oh my God. Are you a- By a group of homeless vampires. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. I didn't know who was responsible, but I was gonna make them pay. There's fire and decapitation. Got your ass back. Maybe we should just go. I think we use a wooden stake. What? (laughs) They're vampires, duh. I had a plan. Revenge. Look deep into my eyes. Do you know where you are? I can't remember. Go! Go, go, go! Don't be scared.
So, Aislinn, you and I talked a Blumhouse film on High School Slumber Party AP, and that was the new Craft, Craft Legacy. Yes, the one where I made sure to invite um, some friends over because I didn't want to watch it by myself. And then it turned out that, you know, problematic masculinity was the scariest part. <laughs> However, Black as Night looks legit scary. And as a 90s fan, I am a vampire fan in general. Oh. This one might be too scary for me. Perhaps. I mean, look, I didn't find it to be terribly scary. I actually enjoyed this one, I think, a lot more than the critics and the audience, and we'll get there. But this is part of a Blumhouse series that um, actually Craft Legacy was not a part of, but Blumhouse, big independent film production studio, but especially in the horror genre. They signed a deal with Amazon, and I'm not sure how long it goes to, but every year they release four horror films that are in this, like, series. Oh, wow. It's called Blumhouse Presents, I believe. Now, last year was the first year, and they had one teen film called Nocturne, which I talked about on our 2020 review. So I was looking forward to this because... I was just curious. Like, I don't know if every year they're going to have a teen film in that foursome of uh, horror films, but was excited to see that they had another one this year. Like, I love New Orleans. So it takes place in New Orleans, and it's a lot about the New Orleans culture, specifically the black culture in New Orleans. I would say 99% of the faces on screen were people of color, which is super cool to see, especially in a horror film. The director was a woman named Marty Lee Go. I wasn't familiar with her, but I, again, I think she did a great job. It's a vampire tale. Uh, you know, a young woman who gets bit by a vampire and really kind of has to figure out what the hell's going on with her and her mom and her and her, her family. I don't know. The more movies I saw this year, the more I realized, and I can accept the fact that as many horror movies that I watched for High School Slumber Party, I truly still don't get horror in a sense that uh, okay. I can't tell what's good or bad. Because I'll watch something and I was like, that was really good. That was fun. And then I'll look at these critical scores and I'm like, wait, oh, okay. <laughs> I must not know what's going on here. I'm the friend who comes over for the party and will drink whatever wine you're serving. You gotcha. know? That's, that, <laughs> that's how I am with horror films, I suppose. Again, I think I know what feels good and what doesn't feel good. Yeah. So I, I probably or we probably collectively need horror experts Absolutely. more often for this kind of stuff but I, I thought this movie was good and subversive and really showed it really showed like black culture in new orleans and discussed a lot of things that don't get discussed a lot in movies like colorism i don't know black as night i would say go watch it the critics agree with me 70 percent. the audience though 38 percent on rotten tomatoes and 2.3 on letterbox and that's why i was like hmm. huh I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Did you read any of the sort of highlights to understand what it was that folks were not satisfied with or or were there not very many or kind of how do you reconcile that? I did. I did. And I don't know, Aislinn. I don't know what's wrong with me. When I read these horror reviews, I just, it's like I'm reading a different language when they're huh. a negative review. I'll pull one up on Letterboxd. Um, okay. So this person says, they're called Dan Likes Movies on Letterboxd. They give it two stars. The summer I got breasts, that was the same summer I found vampires. All right. Like, totally taking the quote out of context here, but whatever. Regardless. I knew Black as Night would be trash as soon as this line 
came out less than five minutes in. Yikes. Okay, damn. But pros, well shot. I thought it was. Cons, awful narration. Maybe. Unlikable characters, don't agree. Some mm-hmm. scenes were too dark. It's a vampire movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like Dan might not be used to stories that don't include him. That's a good call there. And the other thing he said, Keith David, who's in the film, and I love Keith David. Yeah. Severely underutilized. I get that. But sometimes in these independent films, they book these yeah. bigger name actors and they don't have them for a while. They just have them for like a part like this. So uh, this is by Vanessa. Two stars. Damn. They really set her up to fail with all these cringy narrations in the first five minutes. So this is a problem I have. Yeah. Full disclosure. There's a couple films I watched or watched at the beginning of or at least half of mm-hmm. uh, at least five of them that. The internet said we're coming of age films and teen films, and once I watched them, I disqualified them for various reasons, like okay. this person's in middle school or this person's in college, <laughs> or even like okay, this person's a teenager for five minutes of the film and then they're an adult. Right. You know, we live a lot of films to talk about. I had to cut some fat out. Amen. And there were some where, I, specifically, there's this not to really rip into the film, but there's this film called The Tender Bar on Amazon yeah. right now that George Clooney directed. My mom says she loved the book. Yeah. Oh, so a lot of people say that it's a great book and it's an adaptation sure. from this book. I watched the whole movie, actually. It was a okay movie. It was a good movie. But the narration at times really took away from it. And right. I know when they adapt books like that, that can be an Absolutely. issue. Absolutely. No, that, and that's my complaint sometimes. However, and this is my ignorance, I thought that narration is sometimes part of the genre of horror yeah I, th- I think that's correct i mean look again i'm not the person to ask about that right. but I we, need a, we need a guesspert <laughs> but but i'll say this too that's really again oh getting me so mad <laughs> i feel like especially with the letterbox crowd not to pick on them again there's now this thing that if there's narration in any film people automatically say bad movie lazy um, work here and i think that's just silly it can be I used agree. well it can be used subtly i hate these just blanket things that make a film bad and as i scroll through the letterbox here a lot of people say oh there's narration there's narration all right maybe you don't like that aspect of it but i could tell you i couldn't even remember there was narration in this film and i enjoyed it right. so i don't know sorry off the soapbox but <laughs> stopping snobs people black as night i suggest and I implore our horror fans out there to watch it and let us know what you think. But Aizen, we've said this a couple times on this 2021 re- rewatch. When we see stories that aren't often told, mm-hmm. I don't know. It piques my interest and I like it. So I'm sorry. Agreed. I love the idea of a New Orleans uh, black vampire story. Sounds great. Except that it looks too <laughs> scary for me. But I could give it a try. If I can find some more friends to come over for a scary movie, this could be one I'm picking. Well, then this next film we're going to talk about is a film that, like, it said horror on it, but it's definitely more sci-fi, and it's called Come True. You know you can tell me anything, right? Yeah, I know. Have you ever had any difficulty getting to sleep? Lately, yes. Sarah? Have you ever been diagnosed with any sleeping disorders? Sleepwalking, night terrors, insomnia? I used to sleepwalk as a kid, but I haven't in years. What are you studying? 
I can't tell you that. It's a nightmare. Are we ready? Don't you ever feel like you're seeing something that you're not supposed to? Is this your first sleeping clinic? Do you feel well rested? For some reason, we always figure out a way to simply discount them as just dreams. If I show this to you, you cannot tell anyone. Listen to me. I think your science project is fucking me up. What did you think would happen? I come. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay! Get back! Hurry! That's what I'm telling you. She's not there. tries to reject death and dreams, you, you wake up. What if you're wrong? This trailer looked bananas. And <laughs> I, again, definitely would like some off mic spoilers because this looked really interesting. Um, Do you have the name of the lead actor in it? So the lead was Julia Sarah Stone. She mm. played Sarah. I thought she was really, really good. She's been a bu- in a bunch of stuff, according to her IMDb. The Killing, The Year Dolly Parton Was My Mom. I don't know. Um, yeah, she she looked familiar to me, but also quite unique. So then I wasn't sure if I was thinking she was someone else. But yeah, the trailer looks certainly spooky. So uh, you're saying it came up as horror, but is more of a, what would you call it? It's like horror sci-fi. Like there, there's certainly okay. a thriller elements of it definitely horror elements of it and i even off air i don't know if i could spoil maybe i will if you really really want me to but i don't know if i could spoil this film for you because it is one of those twist endings okay that just you're like oh okay that's what that all meant off the bat i really liked it okay but i could see a lot of people not liking it and it's one of those like like you know the sixth sense spoiler if you haven't seen the sixth sense by now but Bruce Willis is dead the whole time, that kind of thing. And like, if you watch sure. it again, you kind of can watch it with a different lens. But that that'll oh, yeah, wear. absolutely. But it'll it kind of could wear off after a while with those M Night Shyamalan things. Some of the better ones can hold you in more than others. Sure, it's definitely one of those endings that makes you want to watch it again. Not necessarily. It comes a little bit out of left field. Oh, okay. But if you like what you saw, yes, you would want to watch it again. Um, If you didn't, maybe not. It's definitely an intense movie. I think, I'm glad you brought her up. And I think, you know, even the trailer, you can tell that Julia Sarah Stone as our uh, lead here, Sarah, is just so compelling. I hope to see her in a lot more things. I thought she was very, very good in this. Uh, Once again, Hulu, guys. Hulu stepping up. Hulu's right there. I mean, based on the trailer, it also looks like she is in virtually every scene yes i would say vir- yeah virtually every scene and then if not every scene knowing how it ends i would catalog that i'll just put it that way not to spoil it but i would definitely like to catalog if if she is indeed in every scene hmm. i'm trying to 
explain the movie without spoiling it but yeah no it's okay don't yeah don't there might be a couple folks that really are excited and so i don't want to I don't want to lead us down a spoilery path. Yeah, and I and I won't go there. This is another one where there's a disconnect between the critical and the audience score. Eighty six percent by the critics, fifty eight percent by the audience. And again, maybe I don't get sci fi either. I don't know, <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed this film. I tried to think of like what's a good summary for this. Basically, a young woman, a young uh, a teenage woman who decides to live on her own. Early in the movie, you see her kind of leave her mother's house and she'll occasionally go by when her mother's not there and get things. Um, But she's in school and that's not an easy life to kind of live on your own at that age. We're not sure why she's doing that, but she's having issues sleeping sort of because of it, because where do you sleep? You know, she tries to sleep at friends' houses, she tries to sleep at other places. So she does a sleep study and... What's the sci-fi version of hijinks and Sue? You know? I was just going to say, and it, it goes awry from there, or so the trailer shows us. This is where like things get horror, right? Like, while they're analyzing dreams, things get scary. Right. When there seems to be a lab, there seems to be sleepwalking, hard to tell what is you know, real versus not, and, and what are the people in the lab doing? I am so curious, but... We'll not find out today. 3.1 on Letterboxd, and the director is Anthony Scott Burns. I don't know if you'd be up for this one, but (laughs) I definitely want to cover it on High School Slumber Party at some point because I'm curious what other people think. So come true. A surprise hit in at least my mind. (laughs) Again, a a Hulu contender. Hulu, yeah, doing it. So the next one we're going to talk about is also kind of... Well, at least it tries to be modern, and it's called Hero Mode. Is your game done? Already started a new one. My name's Troy Mayfield. I love making video games. My mom and dad started a gaming company, and all I've ever wanted to do is work there. Zack and Cody! PixelCon is 20 days away. I've literally never been more excited for a video game than I am for Exodus's Alien Reaper. The inside scoop on Playfield's latest game, it is not good, friends. They ditched their game, they ditched their lead designer. Good luck, you're gonna need it. I was wondering if you might be interested in... Buying out your games. Yeah, I would do that for you. P.S. There would not be jobs here for any of your employees, of course. Mom, let me come and help. I'm actually really good at this. Everyone out there has been working weeks to try and fix those glitches that you managed to fix in one night. That's why I am putting you in charge of it. Are you out of your mind? We are out of time. This is insane. Holy crap it have! This is really happening! Yes! Yes! Have you guys ever thought of maybe dancing like somebody is watching? some time to think and work on my own. They're just gonna slow me down. This is the only job I've ever had. I helped build this company. I have my own family now. The longer we let Gandalf lead us, the greater chance is we're gonna lose everything. Everyone's falling so far behind. I've never seen you ask for help. We need to find something that real gamers really wanna play. When I'm coding, I see a whole other world. What do you guys think? You're asking us? Yeah, we're all Playfield Games, right? Let's show the world what we can do. I, for one, never doubted you. I doubted you 100%. 
BRB. LOL. The trailer for this one really honestly put me a little bit back in Kid 90 because I am looking at a lot of adults that were famous in the 90s or 80s for that matter. Ooh, the cast of Hero Mode is the best thing about it. It is a <laughs> great cast. Who did you see that stuck out at you? Um, certainly Sean Astin and ha happy for him. Mira Sorvino. Yeah, uh, as I go through my notes, uh, so Bobby Lee, Creed Bratton from The Office, Al Madrigal's in it, like Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec. They really, really got the cast out for this one. This was a kind of weird film. So it, this is one of these films that we talked about a couple times last time where, yes, it stars teens, but it's really geared for younger people, probably younger than teenage. And it's about a essentially a young gamer who started this, which made me feel really old because I know video games predate even my birth, but they still kind of feel like a newish concept, right? Yeah. And like his parents had started this video game company. So he's like a second or even third generation gamer, which I'm like, whoa, <laughs> his father has passed away and this company's sort of failing. And his mother tasks him with creating this game to compete with another big time game making company. I know I sound like an old person, but <laughs> and really he has to learn teamwork I don't know. Uh, this is clearly a film that was geared to young gamer kids. And from what I read in the reviews, it really missed the mark with them and adults as oh, no. well. From the reviews I read, it was sort of like, oh, you're speaking gamer language. Cool. Like, it, it was directed by AJ Tesler. Um, the streaming service is Stars, at least right now. Stars had a bunch of teen films as well. Not the amount of Hulu or Netflix. We'll talk about two today, but it also had a lot of a, a, a foreign films, foreign teen films. So I believe it was on the first episode where we teased the new segment, Study Abroad. So we might cover yeah. some of those films. But 46% by the critics, 86% by the audience was really good. But 2.2 on Letterboxd. Mm. Scores everywhere there. Yeah. I didn't hate the movie, but again, it had the quality sort of of a Disney Channel original movie with better effects and better yeah. cast. That was the feeling I got in the trailer of it as well. Positive messages for kids. Maybe kids, especially kids who are into games and video game development would enjoy this. I don't know. Again, it made me feel old because they're like, they're in high school learning coding and how to develop games sort of. And I'm like, I didn't learn that in my high school. Very different high school approach, but... I'll put it this way. I liked how it ended. I liked the ending. I like where we built to. Okay. For a lot of the movie, I was kind of unhappy with what, <laughs> what our lead character was doing here. A uh, young actor named Chris Carpenter plays Troy Mayfield. Always a Troy. Yes, always a Troy. You talk about comeuppance a lot. I do. I love a good comeuppance. Not to spoil things, but I was happy to see the main character get his comeuppance, which is a little bit rare. Um, yeah. But it was, again... This is not a spoiler to say at the end of the day there's a happy resolution, okay? But <laughs> again, you've you've also yeah described it as a as a like a Disney original, clearly like a a children's film. So it makes sense to me that the teen main character would learn a lesson. <laughs> this one again, there's not much more I have to say about it. But if you like gamer movies, great. As I read my notes now, my biggest thing is again, you said it. But seeing Mina Sorvino, more of her, please. This next film I also watched on Stars, 
and it was called 12 Mighty Orphans. My name's Harvey Newell Russell. I'm the new math science teacher. The football coach? <laughs> we teach survival. If we don't, they'll never make it on the outside. The thing about football is it teaches teamwork and discipline, and those are key elements to survival. The way I see it, you can either work the field or play the field. Hell sounds good to me. I mean, might as well. Okay. Ready, set, hike! This is going to be even more work than you imagined. Today we're going up against a team that's won two state championships. Stay down in the dirt where you belong, loser orphan. That's a funny formation. It's your new offense line up a quarter yard directly behind AP for the snap. What position does that make me, coach? We'll call you the quarterback. This is how we're going to beat the bigger teams. We don't have the size, so we gotta utilize what we do have, speed. We finally got a team. Might as well call it now. Mighty much. Every second that they're on the field, we're losing money. When are you gonna stand up for these children and do what's right? Money, do we have a chance to make a real difference here? They're gonna want you to win. Everybody's going to be behind a team with nothing, just like them. It's hard to believe when all we've known is hurt and loss. I look at you boys, and I can honestly say I'm proud to be an orphan. And you'll feel the same way if you can believe in yourselves and believe in each other. One, two, three, Mars! Here's what, man. I've rarely watched a movie that I don't want to see any more than this one. <laughs> and why is that? Why is that? I could absolutely not give a shit about the origins of American football. <laughs> and just the way that like speaking of voiceover the trailer i don't know if it's actual voiceover but the trailer made it seem like there's this luke wilson voiceover and it just made me feel like like he decided one day he'd gotten to the age and or status of middle-aged white man that needs to make a sports period film <laughs> like it just i just truly don't care about any of it and i'm sorry to be so negative out the gate but i just thought what a what a waste of time so <laughs> how did you like it well okay so i didn't hate this film it just felt like a film that they don't really make anymore for better or worse right like these are stories they told for years i don't i don't know if we necessarily don't need them anymore but i don't think there is that thirst for these sort of rags to riches. There are some people that are, right? There are absolutely people who are thirsting for like Americana, back to the good old days. Like there's there's mm. absolutely that out there. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> but you're absolutely right about that. Like I could see like an older person being like, I saw this movie, 12 Mighty Orphans, and it was great. Not a lot of women characters, which again, I'm sure something else you probably wouldn't enjoy about it. Uh, the guy's wife is basically one of the only ones. 
who's played by Vanessa Shaw, who I actually really like. She's in a bunch of stuff, but she's in Hocus Pocus. And what can I say about this film? Really A-list cast. You mentioned Luke Wilson already, but Martin Sheen, Robert Duvall is like a small cameo. Uh, Wayne Knight. Lots of mustache twirling in this one. The bad guys are bad guys. The good guys are good guys. True story. There's some interesting things about this story, and it's about it's called Twelve Orphans, and it's about um, an orphanage in Texas, which a coach who also happens to be an orphan decides to coach these kids and coaches them to football success. And I'm fascinated with the Dust Bowl and that era and stuff like that. So again, I sure. did not hate the film. It just felt like I was watching a film from 2003. They didn't look like children. Oh, oh, sorry. It's a school of children, but the football players are high school age. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense because of where what we're. This is high school slumber party, so of course they're. (laughs) There's one quote I wanted to say because let me pull it up in my notes because I'm like, all right, we get it. (laughs) That was exactly what I said. So there's a bad coach. Luke Wilson's obviously the good guy coach, but there's a high school they have to beat. And that coach is like the most evil looking person and just behaving person. He's chomping this big cigar and he's got this like jet black parted hair. And he's like, you can't be in the same league as me. You know, that kind of stuff. And he says, you can probably guess all the moments in this film, but there's a moment where they have to go to like court and prove that they can actually be in the league. Right. And when they're walking into the courthouse, he says to himself, this bad guy coach chomping the cigar Orphan football, that's as dumb as letting women vote. <laughs> it's just like, all right, we get it. I mean, yeah, but, but here's here's what, and I, we don't need to go into all this, but like, again, just from the trailer, I heard like, well, we don't have any money. Like, we're not a real football club. How can we compete? Blah, blah, blah. And to me, that's a story of how capitalism <laughs> creates systems of oppression that conflict with your American dream. So like, it's going to bother me that like the American spirit is going to solve the problem that the American economic system caused. Wiseland, what you don't understand, let me, let me explain to you. What you don't understand is that that if you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, as they do in this film, it solves solves everything. I assume there would be some bootstraps here for sure. Joking, of course. And since my vagina <laughs> prohibits me from having bootstraps, um, yeah, no, I, I get I get what we're talking about here, and I think again that's why this movie was not made for me. Uh, yeah, look again, it's a fun story. I would have honestly probably rather watched the documentary of this of this true story because that would have been interesting, and or even if they did it in sort of a different way. And I'll even say this too. I'm trying to be as neutral and apolitical as possible, but I'll get on my soapbox a little bit. So this team of 12 kids, right? They're all playing football and whatever. And they're focused as they, as movies do, they'll focus on a couple kids more than others. At the end of the movie, they like have a little, uh, what happened to them thing of, of all the kids. Yeah. And there was like two or three, like Latin kids on the team <laughs> that I didn't know were on the team really until this credit scene. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so, do we put that in the representation bucket or not? So, much? I, I, I didn't. I didn't not include this in the representation bucket. So, just stats. 
This one was streaming on Stars, uh, directed by Ty Roberts. Critical score 64%. Audience score 95%, but it was rather limited. I like Luke Wilson. I, I feel sad because I don't think he... I hope he doesn't need the money this bad. 3.0 on Letterboxd, which again, it's an okay movie. It's not a bad movie. It just is a movie we've seen a billion times. Right. If you like football... You like white men in America? Yes, yes. Watch this movie. Which, Americana, that, again, pulling up your bootstraps, the good old American spirit. Not my particular grandpa, because my grandpa doesn't speak English and probably doesn't gravitate to football at all. But if I had a grandpa who was more a traditional grandpa, I could see watching it with my grandpa. You know what I mean? Sure. 12 Mighty Orphans, if it's for you, let us know. Social media. The, the next one we're going to talk about, very different to 12 Mighty Orphans. <laughs> very different. It was called North Hollywood. Are you wearing a sweater and shorts? What? Why aren't you wearing pants? Pops, you can wear shorts and a sweater. That doesn't make any sense. Wear pants and a shirt. Hey, Mike, you got that shit! Come on! Pops, I'm telling you, I'm nice on the board. You're nice on the board? When'd yeah. you start talking like that? You already know what you should do. Get your bitch ass out the way! Hey, you watch how you talk! You need to show me respect, bud. <gasps> Look, I'm gonna go to college. I'm also gonna skate. Yo, Mikey, what's up, bro? Your focus is gonna be on college. Actually, felt kind of nice. It did, didn't it? Yeah. That shine, you're serious. Next time, I'm gonna beat that kid's ass. Is that how you fight? Don't you have water polo practice? I actually just quit. Yeah, I just gotta focus on one thing, you know? And what's that? I'm gonna be a pro skater. Wow, that's cool. Everybody talks about how you're good at skating. He also has a tiny penis. I know you have a small penis. I can see it in your shorts. I can see Don't the outline. Don't fucking look at my dick, bro. I can Right hand, straight punch, straight punch. Good, all right, good, now move your head. Nothing new. I gotta focus on skating. You need structure. So trash. What was that? What was that? So little time and so much, so much to do. Yeah. You gotta take care of us. All right. Yeah. Wow, motherfuckers try to go pro. End up working in like a skate shop or some shit. Aizen, did you have any initial thoughts on this one? Well, the thing that this had in common for me was, again, this surprising, outstanding cast. So suddenly I realized that the asshole dad in this trailer is Vince Vaughn. Yeah. And that surprised me. Maybe it shouldn't, but I don't know. I feel like, to me, Vince Vaughn has, has been the bad guy before, but... He wasn't necessarily playing that. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed like an interesting choice. I couldn't tell from the trailer exactly what story it was telling because I couldn't tell where we were in time. So I will say poster and trailer, perhaps the least representative of any that we're going to cover or even we have covered on our 2021 teen film review. Okay. Just to segue quickly to the Vince Vaughn thing, though. Not as surprising to me. He keeps popping up in... 
high school things and these like sort of dad slash teacher roles. He was in two films that we covered last year in our 2020 um, teen film movie review, The Binge and Freaky. And seeing him in North Hollywood, it was like, oh, okay. So he's not really an asshole dad in this movie, but the trailer makes it seem that way. It makes him seem abusive. He's demanding for sure. He's definitely not abusive the mother's passed away in the film something we see a lot and we'll talk about later he's just pretty demanding of his son he really you know wants him to go to college and his son just wants to be a skateboarder um and does sort of a lot of delinquent things so you know when he spoiler gets arrested in the movie or shows up late for things you know his father is like you're gonna have to work construction with me and things like that when you watch the movie it's a much softer he's not a soft character to be fair but it's much softer than the trailer would imply also, I, okay. I, from looking at the poster and looking at the trailer, I thought this was a film like about like a really like rebellious punk kid, and it's really not. I actually liked this movie. I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's by a director. His name is Mikey Alfred. Um, he wrote and directed this, and he was actually a consultant because I believe he's in the skater culture. Sure. I'm not sure if he's a skater himself or he's like a, someone who films skaters a lot. But uh, he was a consultant on a film called Mid-90s, which was another skater film that came out a couple years ago. Young man, uh, he's 26 now. So when he was when he was a consultant on Mid-90s, he was 24, 23, right? Did he write it also? Yeah, he wrote it. Okay. It was, again, not the story that I thought it was going to be. Because you look at the poster and it shows, it has a guy who's like beat up, right? Yeah. And there are some elements of that in the film. There are is some fighting in the film, but it was a lot lighter. There was a lot of mm-hmm. romance in the film, believe it or not, with um, uh, Miranda Cosgrove. Yes, I Carly Disney herself. star yes. extraordinaire. Uh, and to me, she seemed out of place in the trailer. She seemed like she was in a different movie. Like that's more the movie than the trailer. Oh, okay, interesting. Believe it or not, and I, again, I don't know. Why they're trying to go for this rough around the edges thing. Um, the main character here, I believe he's a, like a straight skater. Like he's, I think this is the only thing he's ever acted in. And he's really a good kid. He just has a singular focus though of being a skateboarder. Like he doesn't take his school seriously. He doesn't take much seriously. I was watching this movie. I'm like, oh, I just would hate this. So he's, I think... <laughs> It starts right after graduation, so this is one of those summer movies. Okay. And it's still like, where are you going to go to college? Like, that kind of thing. Did you apply yet? And nobody thinks it's that weird, you know? <laughs> That's not how it works! <laughs> Ryder McLaughlin. What a skateboarder name. Ryder McLaughlin is the lead as Michael. A lot of cameos from real skateboarders in the area, which... I'm not a skater at all. I kind of do like these skater films. There's a peacefulness about like watching the skating happen. But again, okay. there was there was more to this than just the skating. I would say the main premise is he's so focused on skating and so focused on getting in with this cool skating crew that's already has sponsors and they're like adults, right? That he starts kind of avoiding his friends and lying to his friends about like hmm. his whereabouts. And it's really a story about friendship. And a little bit yeah. of romance because he's he starts dating the Miranda Cosgrove character. And he's a little embarrassed by it with his friends. Like, again, he'll lie to his friends that he's somewhere else yeah. doing something else. She's supposed to go off to Stanford in the fall. You kind of want to know what's going to happen with them. And it's also one of these movies that takes place maybe over two or three weeks at most the entire summer. That I thought did a really good job of a space in these two or three 
towns or neighborhoods of LA, which North Hollywood, the name obviously Toluca Lake, right. kind of show the differences in class, right? Miranda Cosgrove comes from more of a richer background. Not that he was poor, but his father, you know, was a construction worker and mother passed away. So sure, more working class. Then. Working class, yeah. I kind of wish they sold the movie that it actually was because I thought it was an actually a good movie and, and a good story. In terms of stats, 76%, but very limited uh, critical scores there. Audience score, 93%. 3.0 on Letterboxd, which I think is really fair. And by the way, you could find this movie on Showtime, at least currently. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if this movie got a Netflix run and people like maybe saw this trailer or a different trailer and watch it, they would actually like it. Like, I don't really have any complaints about this movie. I thought it was actually pretty good. Nice. All right. We are powering through today because we want to get to our statistics we're powering through, and yet you could not let me get through this without one more scary movie. <laughs> this one is definitely, definitely chiefly in that horror genre, and it is called Seance. Camille Meadows, it's fortunate that a space has opened up for you here at Edelvine. Our climate can be quite competitive. This is our table. Scram. No, I'm good here. <laughs> That light keeps flickering. It must be the ghost again. Some girl supposedly killed herself in the dorms years ago. I'm not sure I believe it. What if I told you there's a way we can find out? So you're going to do a seance? Spiritus Oratio Nostra. Oporte Loquantur Intervos. I have tragic news. One of your classmates passed away tonight. I really think we need to tell someone what's going on. What, that we conjured a ghost and now it's killing us? If anything scares you, hit it in the skull. If someone dies in a bad way, the energy imprints on the surroundings. And if you're sensitive, you can pick up on it. I hope you don't make me regret our decision to enroll you. Now, this one technically could be found on Sling TV. I don't have Sling TV. Um, I don't think it's one of the more popular streaming services, so I just rented it on VOD um, on Amazon. 48% by the critics, 27% by the audience, 2.9 on Letterboxd. So this is one, again, that I was like, all right, I don't get horror. Sure, Letterbox is higher than I would guess with the other two scores. But again, like like you have said, they're not always consistent. Yeah, and this one really reminded me of the feel, maybe not fashion-wise, unfortunately, but the feel of the craft legacy. Sort of like a modern young person's tale. Uh, it's called Seance because it's about a bunch of young women at a boarding school who conduct a seance and friends start dying. Yeah, I hate to see it. Always a bummer. 
the lead actor suki waterhouse familiar name it is a familiar name did she start as a fashion model person yes yes okay she's more known as a model she's also 30 which is you know sometimes we see playing playing a teen right we see it we see it (laughs) not to give a spoiler but there is i'd have to watch it again but there is potentially an excuse of why that might be oh it's one of these films where you ask is what's happening supernatural or is there someone who's committing these murders? Gotcha. Okay. I really liked the cast and their performances. I thought they did a good job. When I read Letterbox, what people didn't like, they said very tropey, a lot of cliches. I wasn't scared. Was there voiceover? I don't think there was voiceover. No. So <laughs> there kidding. you go. Just there thinking, you of, go. thinking about <laughs> horror. I really don't know what to make of this film. This is another one where like, I, I need a horror fan to tell me what's wrong with this one. Because for me, it was a perfectly... Normal, acceptable horror film. Was I into it? Not that much. Like, I wasn't, like, bored out of my mind. I was curious about the story. Again, I like that boarding school setting. We don't really get too much of that here on High School Slumber Party. It's different. Um, Very diverse cast, which is awesome. Sorry, I may have missed this. Does it take place in a contemporary time? Yeah, I believe so, because there's, like, cell phones and stuff, right? It doesn't necessarily have to, but it does. Yeah, it definitely does, because it's the way they do research and stuff, but yeah. And it was directed by someone named Simon Barrett. And I don't know if you notice that, but there's a lot, there's a kind of correlation in these teen films. Like, yes, we have the Paul Thomas Anderson who occasionally will dip their toe in this water like they did this year. But most of the directors are not household names for, sure. for uh, teen films. Yeah. We're going to end though with two Netflix franchises that said goodbye to us in 2021 the first of course being the to all the boys series with to all the boys always and forever hey Kobe. hello from korea the best part of this vacation is spending time with my sisters but pretty soon we'll be back from spring break and then i'm gonna tackle you and smile you with kisses and give you gifts i miss you I can't wait to see you. Feels like it's hard to believe. I'm standing in a timeless dream. What all started with a letter, a hot tub, and a diner could turn into this. Larjean Song Covey, will you go to prom with me? Yes, of course. Scale of one to ten, how much are you gonna miss me when I'm gone next year? A four. A four? I'm glad you and Peter are both going to Stanford. You are not cut out for long distance. I haven't gotten in yet. Make sure that's what you want. It's what I want, and it's perfect. You gotta go. You know what I'm looking forward to the most about college? Hmm. Never having to say Stop on the senior trip, New York City! Heather is taking me to a really cool party tonight. I could really see myself living there, you know? We both know what 3,000 miles would do to us. This is a little dramatic, even for you. Will I look back in 20 years and wonder if I made the wrong choice? 
Can you guys turn around? This is so embarrassing. Not a chance, Chrissy. Save this relationship by not growing. The world keeps shifting under my feet. All I want is for it to stand still. I didn't get in. when we need to play that vitamin C song <laughs> that DJs would play at the end of high school dances. Like, as we go on, as we move Graduation on. song, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> when you when you mentioned the ending of these franchises. And, and also, are they really going to end? Well, we know it to all the boys that there is a spinoff show that's this in the works. This is what I'm saying. So, you Starring know. Kitty, the younger sister. But of course, for To All the Boys Always and Forever, this was the end of the Laura and Jean saga, if you will. We covered this on episode 189 of High School Slumber Party. My guest was Jenna Guillaume, a YA author. But Aislinn, this was also a homework assignment for you. So you had seen this one. Not the best installment of the series. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it definitely felt a little bit uh, frivolous. Maybe it's too harsh of a word, but I feel like the last two could have been combined in some way. Yeah. This is the movie where I turned on Peter Kavinsky, the internet's boyfriend. I was just like, does she need him? You know? I, my question is always going to be, it, you know, couldn't we leave the door open to new experiences and new people in college and beyond? But I get it. And I think were I to be a teen when this had come out, I would have wanted as much Laura Jean as I could, you know take so so i get it but yes agreed not not my favorite of the franchise i will always always though give props to this franchise and really show it love it did a lot for this genre really this and the next series we're going to talk about really showed netflix that there was money and attention and People wanted to see these teen films on their streaming service. Like when I've mentioned this before, but when the first two All the Boys came out, there was only a handful of Netflix original films in general. Right. You know, groundbreaking series. I'm glad they could bring it to an end. And and also groundbreaking in a sense of it really came in that great wave of Asian American stories. They really focus on that in these films. Uh, the writer, Jenny Song, the writer of the books. Asian American writer. Really also the films put Lana Condor on the map. And I think she's so much of, of what makes these movies work. So while to all the boys, always and forever, not my favorite installment of the series, the series as a whole, really groundbreaking in this genre. And, and when my son or daughter, which I don't have, is continuing the high school slumber party legacy way down the road, which again, I would not put that on child. If you're listening to me, theoretically and you i'm not putting that pressure on you yeah let's let's think beyond the binary child yes child child <laughs> that aside person who takes the high school slumber party mantle maybe i'll find one of the 12 orphans one day and they'll take it they will be covering this film because it is you can't write the history of high school films without the at least the two all the boys series and that's my point 
the scores, though, they have uh, fallen off a bit since we've covered this movie. 79% by critics, 59% by the audience, 2.7 on Letterboxd, which is not great at all. For context, To All the Boys I Loved Before, it was 3.1 on Letterboxd, so in that three range. And I know we're splitting hairs, but definitely the lowest rated of the series, but 2.7. Um, and just, again, I said it before, Netflix and directed by Michael Fimanari. Um, the next <laughs> next film we're going to talk about, though, is probably the bane of my existence on High School oh, no. Party. At least the series was. We said goodbye last year to The Kissing Booth 3. Since it's the last summer at the Beach House. We would be more than happy to stay here and help you look after this house. We would take amazing care of this. What do you say? Okay. To the last summer at the Beach House! Good morning. It is 1 o'clock in the afternoon, sunshine. What? Hey, beach bucket list. A long time ago, Lee and I put together a list of all the crazy things we wanted to do together before going to college. You get arrested for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we actually could. But when you decide to escape reality, eventually you're going to have to come back to it. I have to pick a school and make one of my two favorite people very unhappy. We need your decision by tomorrow. But I wasn't ready to say goodbye. It was our last summer together, and I was going to make it count. <laughs> this is the best day of my life! I'm going to murder you! Noah, can I talk to you for a second? What's going on? I got off the wait list. So is she going to make a decision just for me? Look, if you trust her, then you've got to believe what she says and nothing less. Elle? Oh, my God. I hope things can be cool for us. Of course it can, yeah. Ah, this one was going to be tricky. Son of a... I have this thing with Lee. Don't tell me it's a bucket list thing. I'm sorry. You doing okay? Between spending time with Noah, picking a school... So what time do you want to leave for Berkeley next week? And doing the bucket list with Lee... I just feel like I'm running around like a crazy person. Maybe your choices have more to do with what other people want. Maybe it's time that you think about what you want. (sighs) You're not meant to be with that guy. We're not doing this. Noah! I put so much pressure on you. I can't figure out who I am. I think you are brilliant. People pass through our lives. Some of them fade into memories. But a few become part of who you are. Shawnee Mead was our guest on number 237 of High School Slumber Party. Once again, Netflix franchise here. The Kissing Booth. Kissing Booth originally came out before To All the Boys. And it was a sensation for whatever reason. I never understood it. The kids loved it, though. <laughs> um, they had to bring the trilogy to a close with The Kissing Booth 3. Now, Aizen, I know you saw The Kissing Booth and you did not see 
the sequels. Correct. I did not, but I have a couple of questions. So you, you say that Kissing Booth started before To All the Boys in terms of their release. Is Kissing Booth also YA? Yes. Yes, yes. They're both based on popular YA novels. Does the Kissing Booth have a series or was it just a, a one book that turned into three movies? So this was interesting. Um, I've mentioned it a couple of times in High School Slumber Party. It was just one book the movie did well, and Netflix implored Beth Riekels, who I think Beth Riekels was only like 20 or something like that. Right. At the time I, of... I'm remembering this now because then we talked about how it was similar to the Divergent series. Yes, where yes. The trilogy was purchased before it was a trilogy. And they implored her to write the two other books. And I know she said specifically the last one, they handed her the script and they were like, write the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, hey, if, if everyone's getting paid, no problem. But I, I certainly agree that these two franchises kind of together really set up the the space for or kind of the blueprint for Netflix as a teen movie v you know, distribution center. Oh, for sure, for sure. And they basically for the last couple of years they've told Netflix that like they can do this and they can take chances on these films. And we have to acknowledge the YA films, uh, film adaptations that came out before this, like Fault in Our Stars and things like that. Or perhaps The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I brought it in. I brought it in you did to bring one it in. of the year in reviews. Maybe that's me dissing YA a little bit, but uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, I kind of elevate a little bit more. Thank you. Than the YA, that, like the romance YA that gets adapted. Sure. The twilight of it all. Well, this romance, I would say post-twilight, Fault on Our Stars till now, a lot of them have just been about, not really supernatural, but like young lovers, and one of them dies, or, you know, sure. <laughs> not always, yeah, not always. The, the complicated relationships of, of high school students. <laughs> Kissing Booth, though, I, I love Joey King, and I will, you know, go to my so grave So talented. So talented. Again, I think... She has a great career already, and she has a bright future ahead of her. I'm looking forward to what's next for Joey King. But in terms of the series, I don't know. I just could never wrap my head around what the hell was going on. They, they softened the edges in number two and number three. That doesn't make it better. But again, the, the first Kissing Booth felt like it was a film from 20 years before that and not in a good way. Right. But I, I wanted to end with the Kissing Booth 3 because I was just happy, happy to say goodbye. And there hasn't been any other Kissing Booth stuff announced. So thank you, Netflix. Thank you. <laughs> you can now retire happy. Yes. <laughs> we have to give the stats, though. D directed by Vince Marcello. They let him direct the whole, the whole trilogy, which doesn't usually happen. Critical score, 25%. That's about right. Audience score, 17% about right oh. letterboxd 1.3 which is one of the lowest scores we've seen people loved it but that's tough not the people who not very many people yeah. not the people who contribute here but again i think the kissing booth fans enjoyed it and if you made it for them great sure absolutely Whew. all right you made it that's 34 films that we covered but we're not done the service that you do for us Brian. yes the service oh my god what a martyr i am um did compile, though, some data, Island. Yes, I please. I love data. want to really share this with you. I tried to be as consistent with last year's data as possible. 
for last year, just by chance, I also covered 34 films. <laughs> that's awesome. That was not on purpose, but maybe that's my limit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's your... I covered 35 this year. It was 34 narrative films because... Uh, Kid 90. Kid 90 did not qualify for every statistical category because of its documentary nature. Sure. So 35, one more this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pushing the envelope. So last year, in terms of streaming services, just for yeah. a little perspective, last year, Netflix by far was on top of everybody, right? Of the 34 last year, 12 films I caught on Netflix. The second most right. common form of viewing these films was VOD last year, Video On Demand, eight. Hmm. And then we have just like things petering off. A smattering of other streaming services. Hulu had four last year, only four. HBO Max, two. Disney Plus, three. And Disney Plus got out of the game because zero this year on Disney Plus. I have a theory on this. They're busy doing other stuff. I have a theory on this, though, and we'll get to it. Oh, okay. Uh, Apple TV had one last year, and Amazon had three. I'm surprised. I thought Amazon would have more. You would think so. This year, as I run the 2021 data, so Netflix was our leader once again. Sure. 10 of the 34 movies streamed on Netflix. I'm not surprised. Netflix is the one who's always invested of the streaming services most in these teen films. Last year, they kicked everyone's ass. But this year, we had a second place finisher, which if you've been listening to all three episodes, you probably know what it is. And that's Hulu. Hulu really made a huge play for this. And I tried to think about why. Hey. Hulu had 18 films, um, which is only two less than Netflix. Oh, eight teen films. Oh, oh, ooh, good. Yeah, that would have could have been confusing to some people. That makes sense. Their second place, they had eight teen films. Eight high school films. <laughs> eight high school films on Hulu. And uh, one, they clearly see what Netflix is doing and really wanted to, they really just wanted to get in the game, if you will. But I mentioned um, on the 2020 thing that Disney Plus had three last year and zero this year. Remember that Disney owns Hulu. I, I would imagine there's part of a strategy there. Sure. They maybe funneled them to Hulu. Absolutely. Maybe the films on Disney Plus last year did not do as well. So there was some corporate directive. Like, you know what? Let, like a, So plan B, a, a Hulu yeah. film. Not something sure. you're probably going to see on Disney Plus, right? So I think it's just something where, you know, again, that doesn't account for all of Hulu's jump. But it, I think it's definitely some of it. I know a lot of things got lost in the shuffle at Hulu because of that Disney merger, and they just weren't sure where to put things. There was one point where they thought that they were going to make Hulu, I think it was going to be called ABC Signature, and it was just going to have more of adult, when I say adult, you know, just non-Disney programming. You don't mean porn. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Disney's porn service. I think in 2021... Disney and the Hulu and whoever's behind this is just more trying to figure out what that stuff is. And I think you mentioned in the last episode, Island, a lot of great originally programming on Hulu aside from the high school stuff. So, you know, I think Hulu getting it together. They're emerging. Yeah, no, that's I, I think um, I'm not suggesting that Hulu and Netflix is anything diverse, but just in terms of having more options for these stories i think we're likely to get a larger variety of story and there's just more opportunities 
if everyone has a, a teen or coming of age department, which, oh my gosh, dream jobs. Could we be <laughs> like executives in the coming of age department and then like have people come pitch to us? How much fun would that be? Oh my God. Who's more qualified? <laughs> this is true. Now, um, a couple of uh, new things appeared this year that didn't appear last year. I mentioned stars a couple times with two films. Well, they had Hero Mode and 12 Mighty Orphans, so maybe not the best effort. Uh, still appearing on the list. HBO Max, not as many as last year. Just really boogie getting out of that game for whatever reason. And I think that's also HBO Max figuring out what it is. Sure. And, and one year in a pandemic, I think, you know, we're only going to learn so much from that single data point. I think putting it together with last year and whatever next year looks like, I think we'll have a better, even just three years worth is going to be a better sort of picture of trends. Oh, for sure. I definitely agree with that. I just think um, just, it might not be true, but from my own viewing eyes on HBO Max, I, they're clearly trying to go more of the HBO route than that Max route. When HBO Max dropped during pandemic, they had a lot of HBO Max original programming that really didn't fit in the HBO genre. It, it felt like it merged two things together. HBO was always yeah. like prestige TV, and the Max side of it kind of wanted to be like fun, wacky stuff. And Yeah, some of my favorite reality programs are on <laughs> HBO Max. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I don't know what their direction is now, but it seems like they're still trying to figure it out. I have to bring up, though, Apple. Last year, the only thing I saw on Apple was um, the Sundance winner, which was uh, Boy State. And this year, it seems like uh, another film that got critical acclaim, and that was Coda. So Apple not, like, really diving in on the deep end in teen films, but taking their time with more nuanced projects and, and things that they feel like maybe will win awards and that are important and mean something to people. So Yeah, interesting stories for sure. VOD, a lot less, remember I said there was a lot last year, a lot less on VOD this time. And I think that is a product of, well, I, last year, a lot of them went straight to VOD because they didn't know what to do because they couldn't get that theatrical release. Sure. This year, I think the streaming services also were more prepared to buy up these independent teen films than they were before. So uh, only a couple on VOD for um, Dear Evan Hansen was on VOD because it was just in the theater. Because right? it's so new. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Paper Spiders was on VOD and The Exchange was on VOD. Hmm. Speaking of theater, none of that last year, but we got some of that this year with Licorice Pizza and Spider-Man. I'm looking forward to seeing what 2022 and eventually, hopefully 2023, just to see how much of these teen films end up migrating back to theater and how much stay right. on just a streaming service. Because frankly, a lot of them feel like they should just go straight to streaming services. Yeah, they found a nice home and and they find audiences. So, you know, what, what else might they be looking for? Some of the outliers here, two for Showtime, North Hollywood and Sophie Jones, Sci-Fi, had Slumber Party Massacre, and once again, seances on Sling TV. The headline, though, I think is Hulu making moves. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about directors, because the director... I'd love to. Director demographic, always curious with... Um, I know on uh, Contenders Iceland, it's something you definitely uh, focus on. Yes. So last year, 10 out of 33 films were directed by women. That number this year... Stayed about the same, 
Yeah. Um, it was 11 out of 34. What does that ratio mean to you as someone who probably f- focuses on this much more than I do? Sure. So, you know, a third of the selection of teen films that you watch, I think that says that women have and have had, if we look back, so Contenders is about to release a clueless episode where we talk a lot about Amy Heckling as a director. And I, and I know you all have talked about her um, on High Slumber Party as well, but I think, I think teen films have been a, a vehicle for female directors previously. And it's certainly a third of like the movies you cover sounds like a, a higher proportion than just general mainstream theatrical releases again we're talking about these years where things have pivoted i don't know the more complex statistic there but i think teen films have been have had more female representation in directors than than the general mainstream has and hopefully as kind of a building block for whatever career that person is looking to have right it is a good place to start i'm thinking of um not a not a woman but thinking of fred savage right? Mm -hmm. Child star. And then when he got into directing, he started with children's programming and and young adult programming before he got into directing other things. So I think it can be a nice entry point sort of to the industry. And I want to compare this with another uh, stat I took down here. And these are loose statistics. I I also had a category for women-led stories. And and that'll define, obviously, as like just the, the main character or if some some of them are 50-50, right? Sure. So I, I counted those. But uh, 21 out of the 34 films were women-led stories, or, or at least 50% of it was from a woman's point of view. Yeah. That's pretty cool, and, and that's pretty big. And, and I'll tell you, just from the history of doing this, maybe the proportion is larger than films as a whole, but it's mm-hmm. still not a lot. Still not a lot. Right. Traditionally, this is a genre very much where young men are the narrators of their story Hmm. here interesting i have have a thought about that i wonder about the connection to ya Mm. because i absolutely young people of all genders read and enjoy books but i think voracious readers might skew female and that that might right that those those stories then serve as the building block for some of the franchises or some of some of the stories and and in the case of our discussion those franchises yeah i mean that's a really good call something we'll monitor we didn't get a lot of ya adaptations this year but i wasn't sure if that was pandemic related or not because we got a bunch last year but i think you're absolutely right now there's a statistic that i was a little disappointed in america or world or whoever is deciding who can be directors and that's uh, directors who were people of color. Mm-hmm. Only seven out of the 34. So not very high there. And that is something that is a huge, huge issue. Yeah, so much work needs to be done there. And specifically in this genre. Like whenever I compile awards to the Hall of Fame. So we've only had two Hall of Fames here on High School Slumber Party. And I've, I've always looked at, when I put the pictures together, I'm like, whoa, this is really white. <laughs> the white group of people, yeah. Now, some other fun statistics, or not fun, depending how you see them. 18 out of 34, I identified as stories of minority slash marginalized communities. And I broke it down to explain what I meant. Um, now, intersectionality, so don't do the math. Don't add them up and be like, Brian, there's more 
no, the numbers don't add up to the total movies because you can be a LGBTQ story and an Asian-led story, you know? Absolutely, yes. Eight of the 34 films had LGBTQ storylines as part of the main plot. It would have been more if I counted every single hint. Right. Sidekicks and parents and, yeah. I didn't really want to count the sidekick unless, again, it was really factored into the plot somewhat because... I will say, while I'm happy that there's a lot more representation these days, something I did notice was often there was a white lead and a minority queer sidekick. Like, that was something that happened a lot. (laughs) I don't want to obviously eliminate that sidekick from the movie, but it just was like, I don't know if we're leaning on that exact structure every time, right? Like, let's shuffle the deck a little bit. That's all I'll say. Right, Um, yeah. We can... We can do this without a tokenism. Yes. Uh, So nine of the 34 were Black-led stories. Two East Asian American stories. Only one Latin, so tear for that. Three were first or second generation immigrant stories. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. One Pacific Islander-led story. One South Asian-led story. Oh, sorry, four. I forgot one. Four were first or second generation immigrant stories. So I thought that was cool. But uh, one South Asian-led story and two stories that dealt with uh, being deaf or some kind of hearing loss. I was going to ask if there was any other sort of disability represented. No, I didn't see it in a lead character, unfortunately. Not not enough to count. No, there were background characters here and there. You know, no one of... When I say significance, obviously those people are significant. But the film did not. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know what you mean. Significant (laughs) characters in terms of the film. Yeah. These numbers might seem small, but I think if we took like a year like 1997, they would be zero. Sure. (laughs) And when you add them up and you see all like these uh, different stories being told, I I think it's awesome. I I am very encouraged by it. Now, some of my favorite categories, as you know, Aislinn, dead teen. Sure. (laughs) Or dead parent, right? Well, we'll get there. Or is that a different one? Different category. But uh, 14 out of the 33 stories had a dead teen. Oh, my gosh. And I wasn't even going to count Kid 90 because those are real dead teens and I didn't want to go there. Yeah. But, yeah, 14 out of 33. Common theme. Last year, because I didn't take all the statistics last year because it was just me, but I did take this statistic. It was 12 out of 33 last year. So... Around the same, we're going even up a oh, little. plenty, yeah. Now, I changed... Last year, I just did Dead Parent, and there were 17 out of, out of uh, 33 Dead Parents last year. This year, because you, you kind of mentioned this on one of the episodes, and I'm like, I should really count this. I renamed the category Dead or Absent Parent, yeah. right? Like Because they kind of, in na- narrative-wise, sometimes function the same role. 21 out of these 33 stories had a dead or absent parent. Writers and filmmakers of America, producers of America, we don't even always need to lean on this for for a good story. We don't need to lean on it, but I also wonder what does that say about the universality of having to deal with absence and or loss? Right. If it's that common, is it something that shows up in some way more ubiquitously? Yeah, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like it's the most cynical way I can filter that is it adds drama 
to have a parent it, it is certainly a cliche i just would implore some filmmakers to maybe look for other ways to add drama than dead teen or parent all the time <laughs> i mean it's morbid to think about i think we were like originally discussing this category once and i feel like you gave me a little bit like of okay i guess that's what we're doing <laughs> but i don't think if, if you're in it you you don't understand that this happens so often in the movies in this right. genre it's true i i agree it's it's so common in the genre but and also i'm thinking about thing other you know things in my head like the 90 days that are most dangerous for a young person are the 90 days around high school graduation. A lot of accidents happen in that time. And, you know, whether it's, you know, car accidents, substance, all kinds of things and and confluences of different events. But so if it's also common to have that summer before college, like that's an overlap of, again, something that, that does impact a lot of people. Hmm, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to apologize for teen film cliches. (laughs) But it's a good explanation. We're here because we are AP. I'm just, I'm just just adding a little spice to the stew. That's all. (laughs) All right. So this is the uh, grading statistics. So the critics, I I averaged out the scores. Now last year, the average critical score was 73%. It went a little down this year, but not not too far down. 68. Because of the damn kissing booth. Maybe. Oh, you, you know what? Probably. Uh, 68.9% this year, average critical score. I mean, come on. This is a high school podcast. It's 69%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 63% by the audience last year went up a little bit. 67% rounding up by the audience <laughs> this year, but still kind of around the same place, right? Find that interesting. Yeah. It's, it's sort of funny, particularly in this part three, I have noticed more sort of split scores where one is mediocre and one is incredibly high. So then it is a little bit funny that it all does come out in the wash and, and it's this, you know, a statistically insignificant difference between audience and critic. Yeah. Because even when we go to the letterboxd, right last year, barely a 3.0 was the average, which is still good. Right. But 2.9 this year on Letterboxd. So at the end of the day, we're seeing similar scores across the board for teen films. So, Aislinn, I have a couple of talking points before we get out of here that I wanted to just maybe bandy about with you. Okay. Something I, I haven't seen, I saw a little bit last year, don't see a lot this year. It's something that I grew up with, I know you grew up with, is the teen sex comedy. Yes, I was just going to ask you if you included loss of virginity or entree into sexual activity, because that is what I remember as pivotal in a number of teen films from my youth. Did they occur in some films? Sure. But it was not a main part of the plot line at all. You know, it happened to happen, but it wasn't talked about. That's dead. Yep. Out with the dead teens and the dead parents. Also the teen sex comedy. They're gone. I mean, I don't know if they're ever going to come back. And maybe they'll come back in a different light. If we see them, they're in a completely different foot. Like the closest thing, I was thinking about this, the closest thing to a teen sex comedy we got this year that I feel like was Plan B. Which had a lot of the elements that you would see. Like not the same 
when did blockers come out that was 2018 i mean certainly pre-pandemic 20, but 2018 that, yeah that's the most recent one i can think of just from being in the world i'm so glad you bring up blockers because i, I thought it was going to be a hot take now that you bring up blockers it's not I don't necessarily want the those films to disappear. I just think they need to be done more responsibly and better. And I think Blockers is a great yeah. example of that, right? Like it's, it's uh, a different conversation. It's a different set of circumstances than it than it was in American Pie, for example. I don't want teens to go to the theater and be depressed all the time. You know, like right. it's hard enough as it is to live as a teen, and all these movies with again dead parents and dead kids and. Some of them are funny, but they're all like dark funny. Now, one could say on a larger scale, there's rarely any straight like Will Ferrell style comedies that come out anymore in general, right? Sure. And this is just part of that whole larger thing of, I don't know, maybe people don't have the appetite for comedy in that kind of way. I guess The Kissing Booth is technically a little bit like a teen sex comedy, but it just it doesn't feel like those things. Yeah. I don't know. Just something I wanted to bring up that's just Absolutely. I, I think, you know, rites of passage shift and change generation to generation and so i'm i don't have enough information to speculate on kind of what may have replaced that either in the movies or sort of culturally but um i I think we'll see it again but like you're saying in a in a in a different form or a form that maybe doesn't appeal to us at all but is like right up the alley of 17 year olds which are people half our age (laughs) very true i mean that could be the other thing right we just we just might be old i mean that's true too but i mean i just don't see it here like i don't see anywhere where this is except in american pie oh oh yes i mean we did get an american pie last year so yeah girls rules (laughs) i forgot about that how could you forget (laughs) these are just things also i want to think about as we cover other movies on AP in 2022. Absolutely. Other thoughts I had, as much as I enjoyed all the films and there were so many films that I want to share with other people, we've skewed a lot more indie than mainstream in terms of the teen films. There weren't a lot of mainstream, at least especially theatrical releases, of course, but yes, we have Spider-Man, Licorice Pizza. Right. Those, are, those, Spider-Man, are, yeah. those are huge. Like we haven't had a Booksmart since Booksmart, which is sure. puzzling to me that there hasn't been that big teen hit. And maybe we don't get it anymore. Maybe it just goes to streaming now. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I'm looking forward to seeing if that is even something studios are considering anymore or we're going to go. There have been droughts in teen right. films previously, and maybe this is one again. And even Booksmart, I was not available to me to see in the theater. Oh, really? Wow. Not unlike when we tiptoe or sashay into some kind of Broadway things. I think sometimes you've got your New York glasses on. Oh, for sure. And, you know, there are things, yeah, that just aren't aren't everywhere that might at least impact the, the kind of how you frame the question. For sure. I mean, there are people where I live and there are conversations that are being had on podcasts, not just where I live, that just don't understand or take into account that, for example, CBS is the most watched network in America. People <laughs> right. watch NCIS, NCIS all the time. 
I can't name anyone I know around here who watches NCIS, but that's because there is a bubble here with that. Yeah. I am spoiled in a sense in New York that if a movie gets released in a theater, there is some place I can see it, you know? Um, So that's a really good point. And yeah, we haven't had the mega teen hit in years. The closest thing we've had to it is stuff like To All the Boys and Booksmart, and that's, again, gone straight to streaming. Or Way streaming, yeah. And this is something that a lot of people... You know, on podcasts and even uh, university of uh, universities have been discussing that maybe film is not the genre anymore for this kind of stuff because you have things like Euphoria on TV and there's a bunch of other teen stuff on TV that a lot of the artists are gravitating. Now that in the United States it's more common to do what is it called? Like uh, the seasons are like twelve episodes long rather than like right more limited series. Limited series, yeah, and even they can have multiple seasons, but it's still like ten episodes, twelve episodes. Not like the we grew up with twenty five episodes, twenty two seasons, yeah. twenty two, twenty two, yeah. And that's that's like insane to think about today. Maybe a lot of the artists are just gravitating there when it comes to teen stuff. I'm not sure the answer. It's something that like I do want to explore, but these are just like. Random thoughts I was thinking about while watching all these movies. Nice. Just overall in the year, to punctuate it, was it a good year in teen films? A lot of films were interested, but I don't know if it's going to be one that goes, like, you know, down in history. Maybe that is because a lot of stuff doesn't get that um, exposure like it had previously because of the pandemic. I'm not sure. Recently, a lot of people have been talking, and there's a new, oh god, I wish I knew the author's name, but there's a book that came out that's very popular, but a lot of people have been talking about the year 1999 and how it was such a great, or we'll say memorable year in film, and just in teen film alone, I just googled 1999 in film, not even teen films, and the Google search results, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, But I'm a Cheerleader, uh, October Sky, Virgin Suicides, Varsity Blues, 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, Election, She's All That, American Pie. What a year. These are cornerstones of the genre. And Superstar, Detroit Rock City. I'm just sorry. I'm just like going through this list. I'm, I'm amazed. Dick, you and I might enjoy a lot of these films for from 2021. Uh, there's no way they're going to compete with that list I just said. I'm not necessarily in terms of quality, but in terms of just mainstream exposure we'll say so impact impact cultural impact impact. cultural impact yeah so i don't know what it is and i I don't know i i I don't know where i'm going with that but as i will ask you this speaking of where are we going where are we going what do you think the maybe 2022 maybe beyond just from seeing these trailers us talking about it even uh the year we had in 2021 on ap do you have any predictions for what teen films might look like next year or, or whenever i mean i i do wonder when we are going to see pandemic impacted stories i'm not saying you know good better otherwise but i i think it's inevitable it's coming and then you know as you shared some of the demographic statistics and and we are seeing a larger variety of stories being told i just look forward to that continuing and there being even more stories told and even more perspectives shared. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that aspect of it. I'm looking forward to different kinds of stories, more kinds of stories. And maybe, as you said that, it made me think of something like, maybe we are in kind of a transitional period where we're kind of giving some of these stories a lot of breathing room and seeing what what sticks sounds so trivial, but... What resonates. What re- yes, resonates. Thank you. 
Thank you, Professor Words. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing what resonates or not. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing how this stuff becomes more mainstream. What films in the future will take elements of this and have a little bit more uh, cultural staying power. And maybe I will be ruining the day when there was only indie teen films, right? And it's like, oh, there's so many of these damn sex comedies again, you know? Because I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know if I could sit through 34 teen sex comedies either. <laughs> you know? Well, that that's true. But, you know, you could, it would be interesting to sit through that list of 1999 Ooh. ones that you just mentioned and see what still works and what was of that moment. For sure. Because, you know, there are, there are nostalgia. So we can look back and say, oh, wasn't that a great moment? But I don't know. There are some of those I have not watched recently. But I guess that's what the podcast is about. Very true. And I'm sure there's some people who are uh, Gen Zers who, if we gave them that list of movies, would hate 90% of what's on that list and not understand it. So you you might be right. We might just be getting old. Um, (laughs) One thought I had, and this is something that has kind of been in the podcast discourse lately, and I tried to think a bit in terms of teen films, and I'm wondering if we'll get some of this going forward is what has seemed to be sticking in streaming is this idea of escapism some of the most popular Mm -hmm. shows and movies are taking us out of where we are which makes a lot of sense since we've been holed up in our homes um, absolutely for for the better part of two years i wonder if we're going to see some of that in teen films like a i mean hero mode right hero mode yeah for sure but it didn't really do a good job of it sorry hero mode I think it shows uh, like Yellowstone um, on TV now is super popular. It's getting a prequel. Yes, it has a prequel now. And it's, I don't know. I, I've never seen an episode of Yellowstone, so I'm not sure if it's good or not. But people tell me it's good. It actually first gained popularity in the South and in the Midwest and places like right. that. I mean, you're again, you're talking about the CBS of it all. Yes, the CBS, CBS is America. But now is gaining, you know, some appeal on the coast the coastal elite who watches shows like succession where they're just in a room talking to each other you know what i mean which is like the opposite right. of it and that is about re- like super the uber privileged the, yeah the uber privileged, exactly right and people are wondering like oh why is that yes it's a good show but people are being, being they're, they're drawn into this the landscapes of it all Another show, Emily in Paris, which is doing incredibly well on Netflix. It's such a silly show. Anytime it's on in the background, I'm like, this is so dumb. I don't know. It, it could be great. I'm not sure. But it's so simple, right? American person in Paris. That seems fun. I want to watch it, right? So my prediction in that thing is I think that, I, I think we might see some more teen films that go abroad or... You know. tap into that escapism that you're seeing in other genres. Because these are the things that are on the cutting edge of it. And I feel like teen films sometimes yeah. are a little bit behind in that. Trend. Right. We have to do this, but for teens. Yeah. No, I see that. That's, that will be definitely interesting as it unfolds. I think certainly the newest or the most recent iteration of the Jumanji films mm. do that a little bit. I know that's pre-pandemic, but they were in high school in in the recent yeah you know i don't know the reboot of it at least you know so i think there is there's a path there are footprints there and so certainly it wouldn't be too tough to see what who's following suit (laughs) 
Yeah, and then the other just trend that we are always following is just like, uh, and I already mentioned, it's just streaming, streaming versus theater. I mean, it's just so tough, right? I mean, this is not a typical year and a half of of either streaming or <laughs> theater. So I, you know, it's it's certainly something to you know think about how it, how it impacts things, but in terms of like comparing anything, I mean, it's just we're unprecedented unprecedented and i think that's just like well you could put that qualifier on anything and everything these days because it's true and we don't know how long we're going to be like this and we don't know if it'll ever go back to normal probably not is my guess so it's weird to say looking forward to seeing that but i kind of am just for uh, studying purposes you know intellectual purposes if you will yeah i mean i hope you guys enjoyed this little trip through 2021 films i can't wait to watch all the films of 2022 Island, anything else you wanted to say and mention in regards to our little project here i mean thanks so much for bringing me along i've uh definitely enjoyed watching the trailers and and hearing a little bit about your experience and like you said there are um definitely some things on the list ones that i just want to watch ones that i think would be great for um, High School Slumber Party AP. And then, of course, a list of films for me to stay away from because they're just not for me. <laughs> Amen. Love that. Well, <laughs> thank you again, Iceland, for putting up with me and my studies of these, I don't know, some great ones, some not so great, and just listening to me talk for way too much. I mean, a way year too in long. review. <laughs> a year in review, sure. A year takes time, and... I'm definitely looking forward to 2022 and the films we'll talk about uh, in this glorious, glorious year, which I hope, hope will be a good one and a better one than the last two. That was Vitamin C with the graduation song, a request by our very own Island Addington. And once again, huge thank you to Island. And I totally mean that. When you edit an episode, you really hear what its essence is. And uh, I could not have accomplished that without her. Thank you for listening, Slumbers. But Island, she's the real MVP. So once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Island. One thing I wanted to mention before letting everyone go and letting us enter 2022, if you will. Well, kind of. Nico Haraga. So he is the hunk from Moxie. I kind of teased that I was going to mention him again in the episode and totally forgot. He was also in the film North Hollywood. And when you look at his IMDb, he's been in a ton of stuff or will be in a ton of stuff that's relevant to this podcast. He was in a film called Skate Kitchen, which I really liked. I think we're going to cover on AP. 
He was in Booksmart, of course. North Hollywood, as we mentioned. Moxie, as we mentioned. And this film that supposedly is coming out, I'm not sure what happened with it, called Hello, Goodbye, Everything in Between. Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between. That's the title. It's based on a book, YA, I believe. And it stars him, but also Jordan Fisher, someone we love, and Talia Ryder, who is in Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. I'm not sure what the whereabouts of this film is, but when it comes out, I'm sure we'll cover it on AP. Looking forward to more films in the career of Nico Haraga as well. So as much as I want to let you enter 2022, I'm holding you back in 2021. I totally understand that. But hey, that's just how life is going these days. Feels a little bit slower. Remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you could miss it. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm contradicting myself. It does feel slower because I'm still playing catch-up. And we're playing catch-up on this podcast because the next episode will close our 2021 lifetime of Twilight. Twilight Forever. Kate Hudson will be there. Joe Too will be there. And we'll be talking the final film in the Twilight Saga. Breaking Dawn, Part 2. I've had a bad habit of underestimating you. Every obstacle you faced, I think you couldn't overcome it. And you just did. I didn't expect you to seem so... you? My time as a human was over. But I never felt more alive. I thought we would be safe forever. But forever isn't as long as I'd hoped. I have to report a crime. The Collins, they've done something terrible. Walter, thanks for an estimation to more of a child. She was born, not bitten. She grows every single day. Oh my. Creating a mortal child has long been outlawed. And it's met with the severest form of punishment. <laughs> Death. What is it, Alice? The Voltori. They're coming for us. If enough people knew the truth, maybe we could convince the Volturi to listen. Our search began looking for vampires in the most remote corners of the world. My family's in danger. I need your help. Each with their own gift. You are an amazing woman. We'll join you. Pax will fight. Never been afraid of vampires. I'll never let anybody hurt you. So that's your homework. You're a senior. You should be doing all your homework. Watch Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. And if you haven't listened to our Twilight episodes, shame on you. I don't know what's stopping you, but there's so much fun, 
We have a blast doing them. Kate Hudson, Joe 2, his final episode, question mark, on the Twilight Forever series. You'll have to listen and find out. All right, I'm going to say this one for real. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Thanks for listening, as always, and keep watching teen films. Later, dudes.